From the Jewish Federation of Florida's Gulf Coast, this is the Parsha Pathways Podcast. Dive in to the weekly Torah portion led by rabbis local to Florida's Gulf Coast, Pinellas Pasco, and Hernando Counties. Participate live every Friday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time via Zoom. Visit jewishgulfcoast.org slash Parsha to learn more. Welcome to everybody. Good to see you on a nice, clear day. Uh, Rabbi Alter Korf from the Chabad of St. Petersburg. Been here for close to 19 years. I think I'm now the senior rabbi in St. Pete. Um, for that matter, in the whole county now. Right? Since, uh, so it's, it's, it's a unique pleasure to see the joy that a Jew has to study Torah and to get into, sink their teeth into the richness of our tradition, our faith. And the truth of the matter is that there is nothing as compelling as the teachings of Torah. It has been around longer than any other book of philosophy, of uh, theology, of ideas. It has actually been the one that gave birth to all ideas. The only thing is sometimes you require a little bit of patience to dig and to unearth the richness and meaning embedded in the Torah. So uh, good to see lots of familiar faces, Nancy and Liz and Arlene. We have Beverly there, Jackie. Kara, I don't think we have met yet, but good to see you. Um, and everybody else who remains faceless at the moment, we love you as well, equally, and we're delighted that you're here. And I hope you enjoy and feel free to, to share your feedback and thoughts as well. So start with a, with a famous story. Um, we all know we came from Parshas Noah last week, right? And the great flood the famous question that is always asked, Noah built the ark for how many years? Does anybody recall? How many years? Well, the ark. How many years? 150 years close. to build it. Close, close, 120 years. Um, they took him to build the ark. Now the building departments in the bureaucracy wasn't as thick as it is today. What could have possibly delayed it for so long? And for so many years, I wondered. And I finally got the answer. Noah was getting paid by the hour. To your good fortune, I'm not being paid by the hour. So the Dvar Torah and the Torah discussion today won't take forever. It certainly won't take as long as it took in Parshas Noah. Um, but I'm, I promise to keep it short, sweet, and to the point. But more importantly, something that is so beautiful and essential as who we are as a Jew and how we behave as a Jew that we discover with Abraham, with Parshas Lech Lecha. So I want to start with a famous scene that became commonplace in the 20th century. 
I would say starting from the 60s, around the time of the Six Day War, and it continued and it ramped up over time and it continues to increase. So the scene is you're walking down, I'm just picking a, a, a common place, but you've seen this in many places or sometimes even saw it on a, a TV clip. You're walking down Fifth Avenue, Manhattan, going shopping, minding your own business. And some young guy walks over to you and asks you, would you like to put on to Philip? I see Jay shaking his head. So I've done it myself many times. Visited people's offices as a yeshiva boy on Friday afternoons. My children are doing it now. And the reaction to that is quite mixed. Many people by now are very happy and eager to do it, but sometimes the reaction is rather um, unwelcoming. And not for an entirely illegitimate reason. Sometimes the reaction of people who experience it or just observe the, the phenomenon is, you know, a guy sticks out his hand, you wrap it in tefillin, he says the blessing and he continues walking. What value does that have? The person may not even understand what tefillin is, why it's important to put it on. He may never do it again. And some people argue you're even debasing the mitzvah. You're devaluing the mitzvah. A person has no appreciation for it, no understanding of it, no respect for it. He's just doing it. It's, it's cheapening the whole thing. And the truth of the matter is, it's a legitimate argument. But in order to, and this, I use tefillin as an example, the same would apply for Shabbos candles, just to just do it or eating kosher, or fasting in kippur, for that sake, any mitzvah that is just done without prior understanding and knowledge and appreciation, emotional and cognitive awareness and understanding of it seems to be empty and meaningless. And yet we see this phenomenon in the 20th century that started in the 20th century, such a push for this kind of mitzvah observance. So the truth of the matter is that if we look at Abraham, the first Jew, we find that this is exactly the rational pattern to take. The question that is raised at the beginning of Parshas Lech Lecha, God tells Abraham, Lech Lecha, go from your land. He was already 75 years old. We ended off last week's parsha with Noah and the flood, and we barely touched upon Abraham. What was so special about Abraham? What merit did he have that God spoke to him and chose him and his descendants? What is the background? So our sages say it's brought in the Talmud, actually. Rab Abba, or Rab, Rab Abba says that Ben Gimel Hiker Avraham is Boro. Avraham acknowledged God at the age of three. Avram lived in a pagan society. He, he discovered through his own mental deduction 
that the world cannot happen by itself. And this was obviously not a natural um, thought process in his time, but he came to it after thinking it through and he discovered Hashem, right? Discovered God. And then after he discovered God, what did he do? He became a preacher. Okay, we're not going to use that word because it has negative connotations. He started teaching the masses and sharing his awareness and knowledge of God with anybody else. And as we know, the Medrash tells us, Abraham Megayer Hanashim, Hanashim, and the Sarah Megayer Hanashim. Abraham converted the men and Sarah converted the women. So essentially, Abraham used his power of speech to interface with the society around him, who are largely pagan, to teach them about monotheistic belief, which he succeeded in. So what did he start with? He started with his understanding, coming to the, coming to the awareness of a God, of a single God. After that, speech, thought, speech, sharing it with others. The last thing Abraham did when he was 99 years old, what did he do? He underwent an elective surgery without anesthesia. Avram got circumcised at the age of 99, right? Did you all know, you all know that, right? Or I mean, he was an adult. So that is a very logical approach to life. First, you think about something, you understand it, you appreciate it, whether it be mentally and emotionally, then you could share it with others who you care about. And the last thing is you start doing it. You take it into action, thought, speech, and action. In different forms, but that's a, a very rational approach. And having followed that approach, the question that we raised in the beginning, what is a value? What is even the place of having a Jew do a mitzvah that they don't even understand or appreciate? You might even have that Jew do a mitzvah. They may not even be fully aware of what the Jewish beliefs are. The 13 principles of faith. So what value and what more importantly, what place does such behavior have in Jewish life, Torah and Judaism? So the key to this, I think, is in a verse in Deuteronomy. This, will, this verse will help us unlock the puzzle and the, 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 the approach, the approach of Jewish life, the approach of Torah. I need to find this verse. If you give me one second. Um, I'm going to read from Deuteronomy verse 10, chapter 10, verse 16. Um, I'll bring it up here in just a second on the board. Akeb, portion of Akeb. 
um, text. Chapter one. Ten. I'm sorry, just give me a second, I'll have it up for you. I can say it by heart, but rather you see it inside. 1016. Okay, got it. I share my screen. This is in the book of Deuteronomy, the portion of Akev. This is one of two verses in the Torah that speaks of circumcision of the heart. The meaning of it and the placement of it is very important in our context. The verse, if you see verse 16, you shall circumcise the foreskin of your heart, therefore, and be no more stiff-necked. Have you ever heard of the idea of circumcising the heart before? We always heard of the circumcision of the foreskin and not of the heart. What does this mean? To book an open heart surgery? Have you heard of this concept? Obviously, it's a figurative um, circumcision here. We're not suggesting to cut anything off the heart. It would be dangerous and reckless. But what are we talking about circumcising the foreskin of the heart? We are talking here about a figurative circumcision. A person could be um, a person can have an open heart, a sensitive heart, and a person could have an indifferent heart, a heart that's not sensitive, not aware, not aroused and awakened to that which is important and significant in life. So Hashem is telling us here that there is an importance for developing an internal sensitivity and awareness for the relationship we have with God, for the relationship we have with our fellow Jew, the relationship we have with Torah. A person's heart should not be indifferent. Now, if we wanted to place this on the spectrum, of what we discussed before by Abraham. Abraham first discovered God, taught it to others, thought, speech, and then action. Action is a circumcision. He did it late in his life. When you talk about circumcising the heart, we're not talking here about action. We're talking about the, the cognitive and emotional awareness and sensitivity, right? We're talking about the internal um, uh, work that a person does with themselves, right? Like thought. Thought is for yourself. Speech is, is something that is already revealed to others, and action is already changes that are happening in the world around you. So when God says you should circumcise the foreskin of your heart, God is talking about readying yourself, preparing yourself, it, it, making yourself in tune with what part of self, not the self that relates to anybody around you, 
or relates to the world itself, but the part of you that is entirely for yourself, like thought, which is totally internal, not external. And where is this commandment stated? In which book of the Torah? In the final book of the Torah, the Vorim. This is 40 years after they got the Torah. This is when they're about to go into Israel. This is after all the other mitzvot of the Torah have been commanded to the Jews already, and they are already observing it. So we see here that it's one of the last things God puts in the Torah, in the book of instruction, is to develop your internal self. Let's call it your insides, right? If at any point um, I'm, you're losing me or I'm losing you, please let me know. Um, I'm, I'm going to follow the chats and I'll address it uh, in due time. So, interestingly enough, we all are aware that when does a child get circumcised? At eight days. What awareness does the child have of eight days of what is being done to him? Nothing. The child at eight days could be compared to the Jew who is being asked to stretch out his arm to put on tefillin, who has absolutely no concept of what tefillin is and why it's important. It's a very similar experience to the child at eight days who's getting the circumcision. So what gives? The shift, the major shift happened is traced back all the way to the time the Torah was given 3,300 and some odd years ago. At that moment when God gave us the Torah, the, pro the order of things shifted once and forever. When God gave the Torah, he put the priority on action. Action comes first. At eight days, we circumcise the child. Only after that, we start dealing with speech, refining our speech. First, you do something. First, you do what needs to be done. Then you work on refining your speech. And the last thing you do is to refine your heart, to work on your inside, the part of yourself that is not interpersonal, that is not between you and the, your surroundings, but it's just for you yourself, your own personal refinement. So that is the difference. Until the Torah was given, first thought, then speech, then action. God, Abraham discovered God. He shared it with others. He did the circumcision at the very last stage in his life, action. Once he understood, he connected, then he did it, did the deed. Once the Torah was given, action comes first, speech comes second, and personal refinement, if you will, and development of your character comes last. So it is perfectly legitimate, and not just legitimate, but appropriate to follow the mitzvot of the Torah. We ought not to wait until we understand each mitzvah what is done, why it is done, what value it brings to my life in order to start fulfilling it. Because if we wait to fully onboard ourselves intellectually and emotionally before we do the mitzvah, we might end up 
doing the mitzvot when we reach 99 years old. And what's wrong with that? When the Torah was given, the mandate to transform, to elevate the world has been given to us. And that is a mandate. That is a job that cannot be delayed. Each mitzvah that we do elevates our surrounding. What about our own self? That too is important. But we have to make God's order a priority. We're talking about personal refinement. Yes, thought, speech, and action. But God's priority given to us at Mount Sinai is the mitzvot, which actually make the world a better place. I want to share with you a story. There was a very wealthy man living in the late 1700s. Very, very charitable. He would literally underwrite dozens of families in his village, whether it be their, their, their produce, their, their dairy, their meat, and he would pay for them month after month, very generously. And he started discovering, he discovered within himself that he's, he gets, what he gets out of it, what motivates him, he started to feel is all the wrong reasons. Maybe a little bit of pride, maybe a little bit of ego, and as a chassid, as a uh, disciple of the Alter Rebbe of Shneir Zaman of Liyati, it bothered him. So he, one day he shook, comes to his teacher, the Alter Rebbe, and he tells him, I decided that I'm going to stop doing what I do. I realize that I'm doing it for all the wrong reasons. So the Alter Rebbe said to him, Let's say his name was Moshe. I don't remember. Let's use Moshe. Alter Rebbe said to Moshe, it might be that you're doing it for all the wrong reasons, but the poor people who are receiving your help are receiving it for all the right reasons. So you, you have an issue with the fact that your deeds are not perfectly in sync with fine character. You go try to figure that out. And someday you might figure it out, and maybe not. But you know what? Do not stop the action. The action is what's actually what's changing lives. And you cannot or should not stop doing that. So the point is, every deed that we do, every mitzvah that we do, has a transformative effect. Some of them we see with our own eyes. Some of them we do not. The deeds that we see, the benefit in our, with our own eyes should serve us as a window to realize and appreciate that every mitzvah we do has an effect. We have to know that Hashem given us a job and we have to do our job. It's another piece in the puzzle. And by doing so, we carry out an important and integral and vital objective. It doesn't mean we should be oblivious to our own personal 
refinement. We should work on it as well, but not as a precondition to the deed. Always remind yourself that as at eight days old, that the child is circumcised. Each of us in our own way have to embrace that mitzvah of circumcision at eight days. What that mitzvah of circumcision at eight days symbolizes is the willingness of a Jew to accept the Torah and its mitzvot and to follow it and to be prepared to understand it later, not necessarily before you do it. And I'll let you in on a little secret. There's an expression of our sages, and I don't, can't quote you the, the place right now. And it goes like this. After the deed, the heart is drawn. If you wait for your heart, if you wait to feel like it, you may never feel like it. But if you start doing something, oftentimes if you do a loving act, you'll start feeling the love. If you speak lovingly, you'll start feeling love. Don't wait for your heart to get on board. Draw your heart through the actions and you'll see that you will experience an incredible journey. You gotta put one step forward and your heart will follow, your mind will start to appreciate it as well. So that is the idea I wanted to share with you today. Let's see what the chat has here. Do things that connect ourselves to God. Doesn't this also relate to this? Yes, every mitzvah connects ourselves, connects us to God. And, and it's, it's, a, it's not natural that a deed will connect us to God. It's only by God's grace that we have that. I'll give you an example. Who, who wrote that uh, comment? So I'll give you an example to what we're talking, to what, you're, to what you brought up here. It was me. Jay, I'll give you an example. Um, up until the time the Torah was given, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the forefathers, their connection to God was a human journey predicated on human capacities and human abilities. So it's a human, excuse me, a human being trying to reach heaven. Is heaven finite or infinite? The figurative heaven is infinite, right? Can a finite being trend, uh, cross the line into infinity? And the answer is on our own firepower, if you will, we cannot. Because if we're finite, we cannot pierce the orbit of, of finiteness to go into infinity. You think about the spaceship or the rocket ship, you know how it's able to pierce the atmosphere, right? And go into outer space, but it's not leaving finiteness. Outer space, the moon is also part of the finite universe. There is no example of a finite being crawling or creeping out of their finite orbit into infinity. It's not possible. It's mathematically impossible. But what happened when God gave the Torah, God invested the power of infinity in one thing, in the deed. He gave us 613 mitzvot and he endowed the ability for us to cross over from finite to infinite by doing that deed. 
Why the deed? Because that's where he invested it. The example would be, if you are sitting in a cafe with one of the great people, let's say Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein and you or me have zero commonality. He doesn't care about anything I care about. I don't care anything, you know, it's like, I don't understand his world, right? He's beyond. We cannot have intellectual conversation. But what happens if Albert Einstein calls us or walks over to us and says, you know, Joe, Jerry, Jack, I need a favor from you. I heard you have a certain kind of computer that has the ability to input certain numbers and develop certain reports. Can you bring me that computer? Or could you loan me that computer? Now, because of him reaching out to us, there's a connection. Do any of us have a connection to the Queen of England? I'm trying to choose something removed so it doesn't invoke any uh, deep emotion. We don't have any connection. We can't get a hold of her. We can't get an audience with her. But what happens if she decides she needs us, she wants something from us, she picks up a phone, suddenly a connection develops. So a connection between the divine and the finite can only be initiated or enabled, I should say, enabled by the infinity. So once Hashem enables that connection, the channel in which that connection is able is the channel through which we can touch infinity. So Hashem gave us a mitzvah and says, here is how you will connect to me. Or here is how you will be able to transform the world you live in. Now that deed, which until now is an ordinary, physical, mundane, simple deed, now has been invested with the power of infinity. So I'm answering your question, Jay. This wasn't part of my initial uh, thought of conversation, and I hope it wasn't over too abstract, um, but happy to clarify further if anybody has any Thank questions. You. Thank you. Pleasure. Any other questions, comments, objections? All are welcome. Go ahead, Bev. How about a person's soul? Are our souls infinite? Souls are a piece of God. God, but um, God invested within mankind a soul, which is a, for lack of a better, better word, for a, a part of Hashem, a part of the, a part of the infinity. So the soul, which is a very important point, which means that if we find sometimes that we are overwhelmed and we feel we feel like we're not worthy, not able to live up to life challenges, we have to realize that the infinity is invested within us. So when we get in touch with our soul, we then have um, an ability, a, an incredible ability to rise to a challenge beyond which we normally thought, beyond which what we thought we normally have the capacity for. Yes. So I just have a, um, I, something just made a connection. Maybe in my mind it did, maybe it's wrong. So you said um, soul is part of Hashem, part of the Almighty. So 
that's the that's the word. So neshama means from God, right? So the word neshama make... means no, no. The word neshama means soul. Um, but Hasidus explains if you look at the language that is used in Genesis, when God created mankind, it says He fashioned His body from the earth. He blew into his nostrils the breath of life. And if you pay close attention, the nuance here is not that he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, he blew. So what's the difference between breathing and blowing? Breathing is passive, blowing is active. When you breathe, you do not become tired and you do not become out of breath when you breathe. When you're blowing, you become very quickly out of breath. And the reason is because when you're blowing, it's coming from deep within you. It's a lot of energy and exertion because you're investing yourself in it. Why is that used as an analogy for God's investment of soul in man? Because God is trying to use a language that would capture what is really happening because God doesn't get tired, obviously. But the point is not that he gets tired. The point is that what God is investing in mankind is not just... Um, something, but it's part of himself. Like when a person blows, they blow from deep within them. And that is unique, by the way, to mankind. There's godly energy in everything of creation. But what's unique about mankind is that the, we are made in the image of God, which means that Hashem invested within us a part of himself. Rabbi? Yes. Uh May I just add, in thinking about that, um, when God blows the breath into Adam, um, it's a one-way thing. You know, you're blowing, there's no inhaling. And maybe it suggests also that the source of life is God. God blows that into us. That's it's a good God's, That's it's great. God's energy that goes into us, and he's not inhaling. Only God has that energy to blow into us. Excellent, excellent. Sometimes I, I when talk about, not about humans or people, but I talk about the God sustaining the world. You think of the idea of a computer screen, right? It's a one-way stream of energy that's coming from the outlet, that continues the flow of energy. And at, at every moment, the image on the screen is dependent on that flow of energy, right? What happened for a minute, for a split second, that flow of energy stopped? The entire image would be gone. So there's a continuous flow of divine energy to every part of the universe. Every part of the universe is dependent on that flow of energy and it's one way. And if for a split second it stopped, the world would no longer exist. And that's true for every part of creation. But the energy that exists within a human is in a whole different level. Hi, I'm Maxine Kaufman, Executive Director of the Jewish Federation of Florida's Gulf Coast. And I'm quickly interrupting this episode to tell you a bit about the organization that brings you the Parsha Pathways podcast. Welcome to the world of the Jewish Federation, where the Jewish values of compassion, 
charity, generosity, and responsibility inspire us to improve the quality of life for people in our community, in Israel, and around the world every day. It is time to meet the challenges of modern Jewish life, both at home and overseas, and to provide the financial resources needed to fund the many services, programs, and activities that are demanded of us to sustain and continue to grow a strong, vital, and vibrant Jewish life. Programs like Parsha Pathways are brought to you free of charge, but donations are always welcome. Visit jewishgulfcoast.org slash donate to learn more. discussion comments questions so i hope that we can take we take away from this that we'd be more willing each of us in our own life to be willing to do things that we may have not grown up to appreciate we may not even yet appreciate but and we don't have to in one day start observing all 613 commandments but we, each of us in our own life should take one of those mitzvot and start doing it and take a mitzvah that you don't know much yet much about. Take a mitzvah that you have no concept of and experience that eighth day circumcision moment in your own life. That's what it means to be Jewish. Being Jewish means embracing the deed. Embracing the deed, you don't have to embrace something that you love and you appreciate. You embrace it in spite of not yet understanding fully or knowing it, that's what it means to be Jewish. And it can, it's true in, in ritual things. It's also true in communal things. Be prepared to do something, even if it's not your thing, not your style. If it's a mitzvah, consider doing it. Actually, I've said the wrong thing. Do it, don't consider doing it. Do it, and then think about it later. Don't give it too much thought beforehand. If it's a good deed, it's a mitzvah, do it. And then, you know, if it's a mitzvah that you appreciate, understand, obviously you'll do it. But do something that you don't appreciate, you don't understand yet. That's when you'll experience the unique experience of being a Jew. Go ahead. Somebody wanted to comment. It really is a question to take us back to the beginning conversation. So if I'm understanding correctly at this point, you're saying that even though the person may have been hesitant or less than fully receptive to doing the mitzvah, putting the fillet on or whatever the act is, that the fact that they, they do it by this interpretation or explanation would say it's a step in the right direction and maybe the heart will come along. Is that what I'm hearing or not hearing? Or am I putting my own two cents in? <laughs> no, 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 you're on the right track. I just want to clarify. Number one, the deed has value regardless of anything, even if you never, ever understand it. It has an impact on the world around you and it has impact on you. You may not see it, you may not observe it, it has an impact, number one. Number two, it connects you to the infinity. Number three, more often than not, the heart will be drawn by the action. But even if not, 
I think psychologically that is true, but even if not, it still has value, right? Somebody, if somebody uh, gets into an argument with, a, with their spouse, there's different ways to, to, to deal with it. One is to wait for the matter to be resolved or to wait for the person to apologize or to wait until you feel differently. And another approach is to say things that are loving, to do things that are loving, even though you're not feeling it fully at the moment. And what that does is it, it mends the situation so much quicker and diffuses the negative energy and it dissipates far, far quicker. So we can be stubborn, dig in our heels and say, no, I don't feel like it whether it be in the context of relationships with another, with their spouse, or with God. I don't feel like it. It's not me. I don't feel like it. Or we can say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do something. I'm going to take a positive action, even though I don't feel like it. Your life will be a lot more pleasant. You'll have so much more positivity in your life all around. You'll be diffusing a tremendous amount of negativity that might try to creep into your life. But you have to be willing to embrace the action even though you don't feel like it. You can take the other road, which is wait till you feel like it. And you know what? It's a very long road and it is an unpleasant one. It's circumcising the heart. <laughs> Yeah, but the way to circumcise the heart after the Torah was given is to first start with deed. Yes, but what I'm trying to say is in all of these situations, uh, like you said, uh, maybe even if you had an argument with your spouse, do a loving deed. That's a way of circumcising the heart. Exactly. That's, that's a, a far more effective and true way, but it, it's counterintuitive at first. So we, we, we don't always approach it that way we don't realize that because it's it doesn't sound logical but in reality that's the that's the right way that's the appropriate way that's the way we spend the least negative energy yes because you can re not realize that you have a kind of a shell around your heart that builds up but if you do these uh, some acts you get out of your get get out of your comfort zone is I, another way to say it it breaks uh, down that shell yes it, yeah you hit it on the head bullseye <laughs> no that's exactly it you, you 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 cannot explain it to somebody you have to try it to to see it play out in real life right because I know in my own life, there have been times when I do a thing and I was not anticipating it uh, having any kind of big uh, impact on me or it touching my heart in some way. And then it does, you know? Yeah. I can tell you, I, I, I have the most interesting experience putting on film with people sometimes, the first time in their life, or sometimes after they haven't done it for 40 years. And, and they come sometimes not doesn't always happen this way sometimes they just turn to me and say you know it was the most amazing experience I've had right and I, I, I find myself surprised like like what did we just do you know it's like yeah. it catches me off guard 
Right. But the, the, when, when you're talking about something that has the vested power of infinity in it, 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 it does its own work. So there's the psychological truth to after the actions, the heart is drawn. You say, I love you. You start loving, it starts breaking down that shell and it allows you to, you know, do something nice for your spouse. There's a, there's a psychological truth to that, but there's also a, a spiritual and divine truth to it because the deed is, is invested with the power of infinity and that does its own magic. Yes. Thank you. You're all welcome. What would you say is the 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 female uh, component or comparable to wrapping tefillin for a female to get that enlightenment? Uh, Every every single mitzvah of the Torah. I use tefillin as an example because it's like a popular scene. But just give you a few examples. Um, To light Shabbos candles, one. Um, lighting Shabbos candles, not some kind of romantic thing for a Shabbos dinner with the family. It is a mitzvah. Um, when you bake challah, before you bake it, you separate a piece and you make a blessing, and that's designated as holy. That's a mitzvah. When you um, daven, when you pray, once a day, take a few minutes to pray, to daven, to say the Shema in the morning and the evening. Study a few minutes of Torah every day. Do something charitable in the community. And I would, I would challenge you and, and challenge myself to take things that have crossed our path, that have came to our attention, a need or a mitzvah, that you felt like it's not you, you're not up to it, Specifically, take such a mitzvah and do it. Do you have a mezuzah in your house? Do you have a mezuzah in every room in your house? Add another mezuzah in your house that you don't have a mezuzah to. These are all mitzvahs that you can do. Each of these mitzvahs are invested with a power of infinity. Maybe there's, maybe your temple needs some volunteer to visit people that are alone. Maybe there's some other community need that, that's required that's helping dealing with the poor or with the elderly. doesn't matter. But it, uh, anything that is one of the 613 mitzvot commandments, take the challenge and do it. You'll see the impact it has on your life and others. Thank you. Rabbi, we said it eight days that the baby obviously doesn't know, you know so much what's happening with the person, but isn't it really also about the connection from the generation to generation and the family bond and, and bringing that in. And the parents obviously know what's going on and the family does. It seems to be, you know, yes, I understand the, the you know, the involvement for the uninvolved person, but it's the rest of the family and the parents doing the mitzvah as well. No, yes, <laughs> no. I'm, I'm prepared. I'm making I'm preparing to make a wedding now, right? Ma- marriage is a mitzvah, by the way. One of the greatest mitzvahs, right? Bringing children, additional Jewish children into the world. It's a mitzvah to get married. One of the first mitzvot of the Torah. As a parent, I'm experiential. I'm experiencing the wedding. And for me, it's a special moment. It's one of the most special moments of my life. 
But one of the challenges and realities of marrying off a child, and I'm learning this for the first time, so I'm a rookie here, okay. is that I have to put myself aside and say to myself, it's my daughter getting married, not me. I'm not getting married. So I have to put that front and center. And yes, as a parent, this tremendous nachas and joy, and there's a tremendous outlay of resources and time and energy, but my daughter's getting married, not me. It's my daughter's mitzvah. It's my daughter's moment. Circumcision is experienced by the family, no doubt. The mother might be sitting in the corner, wiping a tear and crying. But the mitzvah is the child's mitzvah. Case in point, what happens if a child is not circumcised at eight days? And very often in the former Soviet Union, there were children that were brought up in communist homes or homes that didn't know much about Torah or didn't have accessibility of a moel or what have you. And I know many who experienced circumcision at the age of 40 or at the age of 50. Whose mitzvahs? It's their mitzvah. It's their obligation. So a father and a mother have an obligation to make sure it's done at eight days, but the essential mitzvah is the mitzvah of the child. It's their bond with God to the point that they're obligated to do it if it hasn't been done in eight days. So yes, it's experienced by the family, and yes, there's a family tradition, and all that is true, but that's not the core of the mitzvah. So the I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So the child, the thing I was trying to get at is, you know, at a wedding, obviously the bride and groom had something to do with the decision to be married, at least in the states, uh, for most cases. Um, but for the baby, they really didn't have anything to say about the circumcision. That's exactly the decision on this circumcision. That's exactly the point. So the miss was for the baby, even though the baby had nothing. Exactly. That, 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 that's, that, is, that is the richness of Judaism. It's a bond that we have that transcends logic, that transcends conscious decision and awareness. You, you got it. You just hit it. That's exactly what Judaism is. It's the bond that a Jew has with God that can never be severed. It's a bond that we could never sever. Even if we wanted to, we do not want to sever. It's an essential bond like... What are your parents' names? My parents' name? Uh, Jerry and Adeline. And my father's you know, Jewish name is Jessel. Do you remember at what point in your life you decided to have them as your parents? <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, they were my parents. So you didn't, you didn't have a choice? Well. That's, that's very un-21st century. <laughs> <laughs> but they did give me a choice about being bar mitzvah or not. But you didn't have a choice whether or not you're going to be their child. No. That's it. Okay, so are you okay? I, I'm, I'm having a little disconnect here, so I, I don't mean to. I, that's very healthy. That's very, very healthy. Because the, you're, 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 you're having trouble with this because it, it's. 
if my parents had decided not to have me circumcised, okay? And I know some Jewish family <laughs> make the decision many. not to do it. I do know some Jewish families are making the decision not to do it. I know and many, I know, by the way. I know many. You know, I know many, but my, my, you see, the point is like this. I, I, I hear where you're coming from. I hear your trouble. And, and it's beautiful. It, it, this, the way it's unfolding is beautiful. Is because this is such a, it's such a unconventional concept, but it's such a simple concept. Because being Jewish is not like anything else of, in our life. There's no comparison and there's no parallel in our life to our being Jewish. Everything in our life is something we chose to do. Being Jewish is like, the, is like being a child of a parent. It's something, being a child or being a, you being a child to your parent is not a choice that you made. It's why? It's an essential bond. It's something that is, transcends any kind of thoughts and decisions and preference. The connection of a child and a parent is the most powerful kind of connection. Do you feel right? So one second, let me just finish. I'm let me sorry, just finish I'm the sorry. story. I didn't mean to cut you off. I was not so what the mitzvah of circumcision is really doing, the mitzvah of circumcision is not establishing that bond. The mitzvah of circumcision is revealing that bond. And the fact that we do circumcision at the eighth day is because that's really at the heart of that bond. If we did circumcision, as Yishmael did circumcision, how old was Yishmael, Avraham's older son? How old was he when he did circumcision? He's 13. Okay. Isaac was eight days old when he did circumcision. And Yishmael argued with Isaac, and he says, I'm better than you because... I was aware, I'm an adult, I made a decision. It shows on my commitment. On the other hand, Isaac argues that, yes, that's beautiful, you made that decision. But like any other decision in life, it's a marriage of two things. You married your job, but that's not, an, I, I'm sorry to use the word married, but this, you decided to make that connection to this career, to this job. At any time in your life, you could undo that. Whereas, whereas the, 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 the relationship of a Jew to God is like a parent to a child. It is an essential bond that starts the moment you're born. There's nothing you can do to undo it. There's nothing we should want to do to undo it, but there's nothing you can do to undo it. Because you cannot, uh, just like you cannot disown a parent. You cannot like your parent, but you can disown your parent. It's not a, it's not a bond that is subject to your preference. So circumcision is not establishing that bond. Circumcision is revealing it, is highlighting it, is accentuating it, is acknowledging it. It exists. It is. So if I'm understanding correctly, you're saying even if, so here, <laughs> I have a so I, I come from a, a family with a lot of interfaith marriage for generations, okay? Uh, 
my grandfather was Irish Catholic, my grandmother was Jewish. Um, and we've got the whole spectrum represented in the family. Um, if I make a choice, if someone in the family, which from a traditional perspective, I know it's tied through the mother, if someone from that perspective chooses to adopt another faith or not to do practices of Judaism, are you saying that they are still Jewish from your perspective? I mean, yeah. if someone converts, are they still Jewish? I've yeah. heard some say that they still have a Jewish soul. So that is I, correct. I, 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 this is something I wrestle with. You know, to me, I think being Jewish as a, as a, as a um, self-identifying component, you, know, it's, it's, you have to invest in this. You have to make a decision. If you make a decision to be something else, I'll respect that decision on your part, but it's not, you know, I, I don't think you're Jew, Jewish just because, just because, but maybe there's another perspective here, which I'm not understanding. Well, from the Jewish perspective, and obviously everybody's entitled to their opinion, but from the Jewish perspective, the moment you're born to a Jewish mother or you converted, you know, you went through the process, the rigorous process, but let's keep it simple for conversation's sake. The moment you were born, the Jewish mother, you're Jewish. And there's nothing you can do to disown that, just like you cannot disown a parent, biologically. Okay. I, you know, again, I'm still wrestling with it. I'm, That's okay. That's okay. It's just um, the... Okay, I hear you. So it's genetic. Um, it's not genetic. It's not genetic at all. Because your father's investment in you is genetic, but it doesn't make you Jewish. Yeah, my father, well, my father's Jewish, okay. No, what, what, by, what I'm saying. You know, by, by, by the traditional interpretation, my right. father is Jewish, okay. Right. But, all, but one of the discussions we have in our family is there are a number of members that consider themselves Jewish, but consider themselves to be atheists. So they're non-believing, you know, they don't believe in God. They don't even take an agnostic approach, but they identify themselves as, as Jew. And we, we, you know, we have interesting conversations. And there's, no, there's no such a thing as a Jewish atheist. It doesn't uh, exist. I, I, that, there may be a Jew that says they're an atheist. There are many of those. But we just talk about the fact that we're comprised of a body and a soul, and a soul. right? I, I, so, yes. so, so the body, meaning our mortal side, might cling towards atheistic or profess atheistic beliefs. But by virtue of our soul, we're always connected to God and we are believers. You know, we, we are a two-faceted being. We're not a single-faceted being. So we can be, we, we are drawn and we struggle in life every day. Starting from the moment the, the alarm clock rings, you, your, your godly side wants to wake up, your material side wants to hit the snooze button. We struggle every day of our life and every moment of our life, and that's okay. And, and the fact that we might 
profess atheistic beliefs doesn't mean we are an atheist. But that's really another discussion. But we're okay. Point, I, you know, I didn't mean to take us too far this way. I just, as you can obviously tell, us. Um, may I say thank you? A sure, real sure. quick thought. My husband of blessed memory, when we met, I was born Jewish. Uh, but when we met, he said he always felt like he was Jewish. He had a Jewish soul, there's no doubt in my mind. And as time went along, he did become a Jewish person. Beautiful. A Jew by choice. And he is buried in a Jewish Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get off the subject. There's definitely a concept of conversion. It's, it's part of the Torah. Ruth, the Moabite, converted. He always felt like he was Jewish in his soul. Right. Plus, there's the ethnic aspect. It's not just a a religion. It's Rabbi. It's your job to focus on religion, but we are an ethno-religious people. Uh, There is the ethnic aspect, too. Yeah. Right. But but. I guess what I would like to say is that we shouldn't reduce it to ethnicity or DNA. The, I, the reason why I pointed out what I pointed out before, I didn't want to get a sidetracked on, 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 um, on where it comes from, but we see in Jewish tradition that the Jewishness comes from our mother's side, the tribal lineage comes from our father's side, right? So if Jewishness was strictly a matter of DNA, we get DNA from our father too. Right, so why why is Jewishness strictly determined by mother's side? My point is only two points. One is that it's essential. Our Jewishness is essential. It's by birth. The other thing is is it it's it's it comes down through the maternal line. So it seems like it's it's um, ethnic or it's um, it's 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 uh, genetics, but really it's more than that. It's much deeper than that. But it does come down through our through our bloodline, and it does, and it is, it is something that is. This is the way the Torah puts it, so we know this is the way it is. But it's it's something that's transcendent, really. Wonderful discussion today. Thank you, Rabbi Korf. Thank you, everyone, for participating. Um, I love this discussion, and I uh, I can't wait to continue it next time. And. Um, Hope to have you back very soon, Rabbi Korf, on Parsha Welcome. Path. Thank you so much for inviting me, and uh, good Shabbos to everybody. Great to good have Shabbos. a discussion. And uh, it was good food for thought. Take care. Yes. Thank you. Welcome, everyone. Thank you, Rabbi. So long. And thank you, Je- Maxine, always. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's Parsha Pathways. We hope that this episode filled your heart, mind, and soul with Jewish wisdom. Don't forget to stop by jewishgulfcoast.org to explore everything that the Federation has to offer. And we look forward to bringing you next week's Parsha. Shabbat Shalom.